0: Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You that we know our Lord Jesus Christ. And my prayer for all of us this hour is to think about the awe. The fact that um, all of this has been done for us that we can actually say we know the Father of everything. We know our Lord Jesus Christ, the King, who will reign eternal. And so we would ask that in this time as we look into Your Word, that we could take uh, verses that we know very well and think of them in a way that as we read them, it inspires the awe that we have in knowing Christ. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to just share a short story with you. Um, when I was a teenager, we moved this one time and we moved into a, kind of a, a new apartment. Of sorts, and we didn't have a washer or dryer, and um, one so we had to go to a laundromat, and uh, that was kind of a new setup for us, and it was an adjustment for our schedules. I remember my mom coming one time on a Saturday morning, extremely early, waking me up and telling me that I needed to get ready to help her take the clothes to the laundromat. And I said, "Ma, it's ten o'clock." No compassion, that woman. So she knocks me out of bed and I get out and I throw my clothes on and go to the laundromat. And you know, once you get to the laundromat all the excitement's over, right? Then you put everything in the washing machine and you wait and you wait and you wait and wait and wait. And, wait. and then that finally gets done and you put it in dryer and you wait and you wait and wait and you wait and wait. And so um sometime in all of that excitement, I was sitting on this folding table and I looked down and I swing in my legs, you know. And I looked down and I just happened to notice that I two different shoes on and they were kind of similar actually I mean anybody who wasn't awake could have made that same mistake but as I'm looking down there I thought to myself how in the world did that happen that I have two different shoes on and it was actually kind of funny it was so funny actually that I drew everybody's attention to it which was funnier the way they looked at me so you know the the yeah I've thought about that and I've thought in a way, that's kind of how we are sometimes in life. I mean, when life grows old on us, we don't notice little things like that. And, and really, even if we do, we go, "So what's the difference? Who really even cares that you got two different shoes on? At least you got shoes on, right? I mean, that'll work." And uh, sometimes that's just maybe not the way things ought to be. And I say that because there's there's a, a, a way that we live in life where we get used to everything. Uh, People who don't, and I lived like this for many years, don't know God. They don't even ask the question anymore if there is a God or why they're here. It should kind of alarm us and kind of be interesting to us. Why are we here? Why is every day coming after the next and it doesn't seem like there's any purpose? And after a while, you don't even care. You just sort of let loose ends hang, you wear two different shoes, you try to put one part of life together with another part of life, and it doesn't work, but at the end of the day, who really cares about that, and it it should mean something. And I think even with us as believers, there comes a time when we're so used to everything that it's sort of like, ah you know, this part over here seems good and this guy over here says this part's good and whether they fit together or not isn't really... We stop seeking. We stop paying attention. We stop observing. And the thing about that, um, I was reading uh, Chafer's Systematic Theology and he makes a point of saying that it's important to notice the things that God says and the way He says them because He says what happens is if you let the loose ends go, and you put different parts together that don't make sense, the Bible becomes a half-closed book. And here's the thing. It robs us of wonder. We're talking in that song about awe. There there are things that we should never be able to recover from because they are wondrous. There is a sense of awe in what God has done. And so hopefully we'll be... Uh, This morning, looking at our verse, we'll recover a little bit of that awe. Um, The challenge this morning is that we're looking at John 3.16. In John 3.16 is that verse that almost everybody in the universe knows, right? I think that if you ask an unbeliever to finish uh, John 3.16 for you, I think they could with no problem, you know, because you see it at the, usually it's in the end zone, Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm sure I knew that before I came to Christ, because I used to go to Sunday school, and man, I knew that verse. So here's the deal. We're gonna kind of go back to the basics. Now, when you look at those verses that I have there, a lot of us get excited about what comes after John three sixteen. It's like Yep, that's right. You tell them, John. And I think that's all really important, interesting stuff. But I'm going to suggest that the verses that come before John 3.16 are the verses that really give us a sense of wonder that God could love us and do for us what he did. So open your Bibles to John 3. And this begins with a visit of Jesus to Jerusalem, actually a visit of Nicodemus to Jesus. And you know the story, and I'm just going to kind of walk through the story until we get up to John 3.16 and see what what's kind of in this. So, Jesus is, He has been newly baptized by the Spirit. He is officially in His role as the Son of Man, the Messiah in Israel. His three years of ministry have begun. And He's in Jerusalem. This is his first Passover. He'll be there for four Passovers, three years. Passover at the beginning, Passover at the end. In this Passover, when he got to Jerusalem, he cleansed the temple. And he has his first real fight with the Pharisees. The Pharisees come up to him and they say, What right do you have to do that? And he says to them, (laughs) It's funny. Destroy this temple and in three days I'll build it up. And they got all messed up about it. What? It took 46 years to build this temple. How are you going to build a temple in three days? And John says, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. So Jesus is, is, said something cryptic to get their attention, and now he is kind of in a semi-conflict with them. He has already come there in the authority of the Son of Man, the coming eternal King, and he said, I'm going to do something here, and I have the right And it says while he was there, he healed a lot of people, And but he didn't trust himself to the people, but people could see that he was the Messiah. And so when we get then to verse 1, Nicodemus shows up. And it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus says something stunning, something that no one would expect him to say. And he says, unless one is born again or born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is looking for his credentials. Who are you? Why are you doing this? How do you have this power? And Jesus says something completely different. But this is completely awesome. Unless one is born from above, unless there is a second birth, birth, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And I believe he's using his words properly here. You can't conceive it. You can't perceive it. You will have no idea of what God is doing on earth unless you are born again. And Nicodemus got the point. I mean, there was no doubt here. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He got the full impact of Jesus. There's absolutely no misunderstanding here. Jesus is talking about a legitimate birth. He is talking about something absolute that has to happen. You know, in our culture, I I don't know about you, but um, born again is kind of like falling out of grace, right? It's like in the 1960s. Some of you weren't even around then. In the 1960s, Everybody was born again. We're talking about born again. Christians were talking about born again. In the 70s, we were talking a little bit about born again. And stuff like that. In the 80s, we were hardly talking about born again. Now, now we don't even talk about it. And not only was it completely misunderstood by the unbelieving community, but we started to get embarrassed about the reality. But I would suggest to you that what Jesus is saying here is absolutely stunning. And Nicodemus caught it. And so Jesus comes back to him and he says this, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus camps on this and he says, you can't enter the kingdom of God. You want to go to heaven? You have to be born again. You have to have a second birth, and this is a real second birth. When people characterize or they they caricature being born again, it's like, oh, I almost died, man. I feel I, I'm born again, or I had a renewal of thought, and that really made me evaluate life. and I've been born again, and and now I see things differently. And when you sang that song, I cried. I feel like I've been born again, and that's not what Jesus is talking about at all. Unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is totally not figurative. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Water birth, right? Bag of water breaks. To get to heaven, first of all, you've got to be. You've got to be born as a person. How many people here were born? Okay, not everybody. But it's okay, enough of you. You were born. You became a living person. Thanks to mom and dad. And then he says, and the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It's a real thing. It is a real creation. It is a reality. It is a second birth. It's not being reborn. It is a legitimate other birth, a real thing. And Nicodemus is spinning right now. And Jesus goes on, he says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes. Now, interestingly enough, the word for wind and spirit is the same word. The wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from. You know the reality of the wind. You know the reality of the Spirit. And what Nicodemus is grappling with here is how can there be a spiritual birth? How can there be something I can't see, that I can't explain, that is real? How do I know that it happens? And Jesus says very simply, you hear the wind, you know the wind is real. You don't know where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone, and catch the word, who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? How can there be a second birth? And we're going to ask the question, why is it even important? Nicodemus, uh, Jesus said to him, You are a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things. Because they're spiritual, right? And you can't see them. Truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen. Jesus and all the prophets intimated that this was going to have to happen someday. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe them, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And then, this is kind of the cruncher here, no one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, "I I am that man, right? I am the King. I am the Son of Man. So, trust what I say to you here. This is reality. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So, here's, you know, the Old Testament story, right? And this is the illustration Jesus is using. When these people rebelled against God... They hardened their hearts, and although they, they were surrounded by miracles and the testimony of his love and everything, what they did was they griped against him and they complained and they rebelled against him, and God sent serpents among them. So here was the cure He tells Moses, Take a bronze snake, make a snake out of bronze, and put it up on a pole. I don't know about you, but I probably couldn't have whipped that together. But these were people with skills back then. And so he puts a snake up on a pole, and they they yell out, as far as they can yell out, and probably the Levi's helping, they say, look at the pole, look at the snake, and you will be healed. Now, you will not find that in any medical journals anywhere. Normally, that does not work. But this is not normally. And so there's a transaction of faith going on here. They are, they're bit. Now, what do you do? You you can take all the time you want to put a tourniquet on there, try to suck the blood out, do all that kind of stuff that you would do in Texas, but that's not what they should do. They should believe Moses. They should look upon the snake, and a spiritual, unseen transaction would take place. And what I read into this is the Holy Spirit went among the people and healed whoever looked at the pole. It was real. You may not have seen it, but it happened. And he's talking now about this rebirth. And so here, the interesting thing is, it gets us right up to our verse, doesn't it? It says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him, that's all it takes, may have eternal life. Wow. So now comes John 3.16, and I'm going to take a little bit of a pause. Why do we need that second birth? And what is eternal life? What in the world is eternal life? And why do we need to be born again? I didn't have the time or the know-how or whatever. But some of you are going to be very... This is going to, I'm, What I'm showing you here, I should tell you, is the resurrection body. Okay? This is a resurrection body. And some of you are going to be really pleased by this because it is going to um, it, it's going to affirm for you what you've always believed and that's that Texas is very close to God's heart. So we're talking about what it means to be born again, what it means to live eternally. Now here's the deal, okay? To live eternally with God, I think we understand that, but the words are kind of funny. And the reason the words are funny is because no one dies. No one ever really dies. So, it says when Jesus came, he brought life and immortality to light, And we know this. If you've read the Bible, you know that people are going to be resurrected. Well, everybody gets resurrected, Right? Because everybody will live forever. Everybody will get a resurrection body. But the problem is, is some people will go into eternal life, which means living forever with God. Some people will go into eternal punishment, meaning eternal separation from God, but those people are still alive. Okay? So, death means separation. Separation. Physical death is separation of the spirit from the body. When my body dies, my spirit goes to God. But immediately is put into a body. Justification for that, they talk about this being the intermediate body. When you look at the Bible, you see that um, Samuel, when he came back, had a body. Uh, the rich man and Lazarus, both of them had bodies. Uh, Elijah and Moses, when they came to the Mount of Transfiguration, they both had bodies. Before the resurrection, but these were real bodies, right? Everybody gets a body. Now, the rub is, what if you aren't ready to meet God? It should be neat to meet God, right? I mean, a lot of you, a lot of you ladies, if the queen called you up and, and she said, hey, can you come over to England and have tea and crumpets with me? Wouldn't you want to do it? I mean, there are guys here that would go and sit with the queen of England and have tea and crumpets. I mean, she's like the queen of England. But who wouldn't want to go before God? Everybody wants to go unless it wouldn't be a good idea, unless you're not ready to. Here's the problem. The Bible says that as a result of what Adam did, we have a dark heart. And here's the thing. When Adam and Eve, when Adam broke his relationship with God, it did something to the soul of man. The soul of man broke It, it. it became dark. It came into rebellion against God. And here's the real problem with that. If you've read the Bible, you understand what it, what it says. The heart is incurably sick. It can't be cured. This thing cannot be cured. Okay? You can try rubbing it out. You can try scrubbing it out. But it won't come out. This thing is death. We come to a certain age in our lives where Paul says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when sin but when the law came, sin revived and I died. We call that the age of accountability. In other words, up to a certain age, a child really doesn't understand. You look at kids and they got monkiness in them, right? They're just full of it. But there comes an age where that monkiness becomes volition. And when that happens The result of having a sinful heart and a a nature and rebellion to God becomes a list of violations against us. And these things have to be paid with justice. God can't just look the other way because He's a just God. God doesn't want us to perish. He doesn't want anyone to be separated from Him. So what's He going to do? Because we got a real jam. See, because if I die like this, what goes into that resurrection body is this thing, and it becomes permanent. Permanently separated from God. I've got a huge problem. So what happens here? Oops. What happens is I used really good tape. Okay. So here's what happens. God wants to save us. So he loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so what did Jesus do Jesus took our place he lived a sinless life so that he could take our place if Jesus had his own sin to pay for then he would have to pay for his own sin but because he was a sinless son of God because there was no sin in him he could take our place And because he is God himself, God become man, it would be infinite. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve, and to give myself as a ransom for many. It says that Jesus came. There's one mediator mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life as a ransom. So Jesus came to take our place. So the offer is there, right? We know that He died on the cross. We know that God judged Him for our sin. Now, what do we have to do to make that available? We need to believe in Him. We need to believe that we're separated from God. We need to believe that our situation is hopeless. And the only payment for it is Jesus Christ. It says, By works of the law will no one be saved in God's sight because through, the works of, because through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, God has revealed His righteousness in these last days through His Son. And it says, Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we are justified by His grace as a gift. What do you do with a gift? You take a gift, right? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So God offers us a gift. We, so many of us know the story. But here's the deal. Jesus has to be, he has to take these, this sin away from us. Now this thing is still incurable. But he has to take away the guilt. He has to so, um, uh, satisfy justice. It's kind of this thing where we pray to Him and we say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I'm separated from You. I could write the book on sin. Uh, but I don't know what to do with me. And I'm reading this and I understand that you're saying that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. When He was on the cross, He said, It is finished. That, mean, that word means paid in full. And then there's that moment of humility where we just say, Look, I need You. I need, I need Your help. Jesus, I want you to forgive my sin. Please forgive my sin and be my Savior. Now, here's what happens. The minute that we do that, this thing gets taken off because it's paid for. And we see it no more. But, at the same time, the Holy Spirit, now that that thing is gone, and we are confessing and asking for help, the Holy Spirit comes and He comes to dwell within us forever. And the second that He gets there, I mean, I hate to even put it like this, right? There's one thing after another. He creates a new nature, a new spirit within us. The Holy Spirit coming and cannot come until Jesus. We seek that forgiveness in Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit comes within us. And the Holy Spirit gives us a new nature. We are born again. There is something new born in us at that very moment. And the Holy Spirit stays with us. It says He will be in you forever. It's through the Holy Spirit that we learn the Word of God. Now here's the thing. You all are going to be studying Romans next week, right? We still need help, because here's the deal. We have both of these things in us, and one's stronger than the other, okay? Folks who have read the Bible, you understand that, right? We have the old nature, we have the new nature. They are in there at the same time. I take Romans 7 to be very literal, that that is Paul's ongoing daily struggle working against his old nature. If Paul were simply left to himself, even the great Apostle Paul, he wouldn't have stood a chance, He says, when I desire good, I see this other force alive in my members, taking me captive. But here's the deal. This thing has been now judged. It may be woven into this body, but this body is as far as it will go. And when I leave this body, it dies. The new nature goes in here. When you get to Romans chapter 8... It's all about the Holy Spirit. For those who follow the Spirit of God are sons of God. It is the Holy Spirit, and you keep looking at that, who gives us growth and moves us on and helps us in our prayer. Without the Holy Spirit, we would be nothing. And now we can understand the Word of God. And I just say this to you, you know, because you know that I I like to tell people I need to read the Bible every day and all that stuff. We need to do that. It's our meds. Anybody who has a serious illness who knows they need their meds every day, the recognition of their illness is they take their meds every day. And we need God every single day. We need the Holy Spirit and we've got Him. It's like, wow, we've got the Holy Spirit in us? That's a little bit of awesome right there, right? That's a little bit of wonder right there. We have the Holy Spirit in us because of Jesus, because he died on the cross for our sins. He has come in. He has made a new spiritual life in every person who has called on Jesus Christ to save them. That ought to be like, wow, that is wonder. So this guy, when I died, this thing is dead. And this goes to the resurrection body. That's why we need a second birth. And the Holy Spirit comes right along with it. Because the Holy Spirit will be in us forever. So, what does it mean? Why do we need to be born again? We need that spiritual life in us because God loves us. And He knows that this other heart, this other nature is incurably sick. We need Christ. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to be born again. And then we have eternal life. And that eternal life means only one thing, and that is living with God forever. And God, I think, is very, very concerned about this. And He wants us to see it in wonder. You know, what this tells you is a couple of things. One is it means there is no salvation outside of Jesus. Does anybody else give you a new life? Does anybody else take away your sin? Islam doesn't do that. Um, Buddhism doesn't do that. Hinduism doesn't do that. I used to live in a situation where I thought, you know, growing up in Milwaukee, that checking into church every week is what you had to do. Otherwise, you couldn't get saved. You were always kind of lifting yourself up by the bootstraps and never really understanding whether or not God was going to look favorably on you. You kind of hoped He did, but you didn't know. And nobody talked, even though we talked about the Holy Ghost all the time, nobody said that it was only because of Jesus. Nobody said that the Holy Spirit comes in you and that you need to be reborn. Not reborn, you need a new birth. I have a friend, Casey O'Gorman. He was—I um, uh, met him at Chapel, actually. But he was—he was Roman Catholic. He was Irish Catholic. So you got Roman Catholic, and then you have Irish Catholic, you know. And he's got—you're—you're—if you know anything about that, you—you you cannot be Irish without being Catholic in their minds, right? And so he's sitting one day in church. I asked him, Casey, what happened to you? You know, because. You know, there's a lot of stuff there. But he said, I was sitting there and I was looking right down the middle and right down the middle you have Jesus on a crucifix. And he said, it hit me for the first time ever that it is all about Jesus and what he did. It is all about Jesus paying the price for my sin so that I can be set free. And that's what he did. And People around us need that. They need to understand. It's just like it says there's salvation in no other. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And it is only through faith. It isn't like we have to punch a card. It isn't that we have to be religious. It isn't that we have to do a certain number of religious rigorous things. It is simply receiving a gift. It is believing on him. That whosoever believeth on him will not perish but have everlasting life. This also means, well, how can I put it? None of you who are physically born, I'm just going to start there, can be unborn. There is no such thing as unborning someone. You know what I mean? In other words, I mean, we just said that, right? Everybody who's been born physically is going to go forever. You're going to go forever. You don't get unborn. Now, I've met people talking to them in the university who wish they could be unborn. Now, when I die, there's just oblivion. And I'm thinking to myself, you better get on your knees and pray that there is. Because there is no oblivion. There is no peace in death. Some people will be more awake and alert, even some of you. Once they die than they've ever been in their whole life. You don't get unborn. Now, why am I saying that? The spiritual birth is also a birth. You don't get unborn. God does not unmake anybody. Our salvation is not a membership in a club. You know, if you don't pay your dues or you step out of line, you're out of the club. There is no club to get out of here. You belong. You have been made by the Holy Spirit. Just as the physical birth is absolutely 100% there, the spiritual birth is absolutely 100% there. Now, we can muck it up, right? I mean, we can shipwreck our faith. We can do all sorts of things. We can build on the foundation of Christ with uh, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and bologna. Milwaukee, it's bologna. By the way, I don't know if you know this. John will back me up on this, I hope. Um, The original bologna out of uh, Italy was donkey meat. That's even worse, isn't it? No, I, I don't even want to eat lunch now. But the point is, when God brings us into his family, when we are birthed by the Spirit, that is a legitimate birth. We don't get unbirthed. With being born again and having the second birth, I don't know if you realize this or not, but we are the only people who have it. Now, this isn't something to be proud of. This is I'm going back to Lewis Burry Chafer on this one. Notice the differences. Noticing the differences is very important because we wear different shoes in theology, right? This, this shoe over here says there's gonna be heaven and all this, and, and, but no, you know, I don't believe in that, but this shoe over here says God has a plan for June, the shoes don't go together. And what would this have to do with that? There has been no people on this planet before Jesus who were indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and who had a second birth. All of them are called the church. It didn't happen before Jesus. And during this time here, this time nobody knew about, right? I mean, nobody knew about the church in the Old Testament. When when Gabriel is talking to Daniel, he says, 70 weeks are determined for your, your people. 69 weeks ended with Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the donkey. What about that last week? It hasn't happened yet. It's not going to happen until the tribulation. But see, this is our time right now. Where Peter says we are a nation of kings and priests and we bear witness to Jesus Christ on this planet. We have been enabled. Not proudly enabled because we're wrecked. We are earthen vessels. But that's so that the manifestation of the glory can be all that much greater and give glory to God. But we are the church. And when this time is done, when the tribulation begins, and you know, some people say, well, this only hangs on one verse, right? As a Milwaukeean, baloney. It's written all throughout the entire Bible. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Why the dead in Christ shall rise first? Because... We have been given a second birth. We have been given a special mission. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. We live during this slice of time to bear witness on earth to the glory of Christ that He came to save men. But when this time is done, the Jews take over and they fulfill their destiny. Why the dead in Christ shall rise first? Because He's going to take us. And then those of us who remain will be gathered up, and Paul says, and we will be transformed. That doesn't happen to any other group of people. And so, it's kind of like saying, wow, we have been bought with the blood of Christ. He paid for our sins. The Holy Spirit came into us. The Holy Spirit of God. You know, in in Proverbs, there's this thing, stand by the door of wisdom. Pound on the door of wisdom. Wow, we've been given the Holy Spirit of God. To live within us. And we have been given a second birth. You know, um, in uh, Leviticus this week, uh, it talks about the three festivals again. And uh, at the end of the Passover, there's a a special little thing that happens. So a day after the Passover, uh, somebody comes out with a stalk of wheat. And he just waves it. It's called the offering of the first fruits, right? Fifty days later comes another festival, Pentecost. And I'm, I'm going to be a little figurative here, but Jesus was that stalk of wheat, the first fruits, the first fruits of those who are raised from the dead. Fifty days later, when they celebrated the, fir- the, uh, the Pentecost, they had two loaves of leavened bread the result of that harvest. And what happened on Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came. That's when we say the church was birthed. Folks, that's us. That is us. And I'm going, reading all this stuff, wow. So, why would God the Father do this? Well, it's love, right? God the Father loves us so much, He does not wish for any, to perish. So it's sort of that idea that if you haven't had this transaction, if you haven't had this talk with God yet, you need to have the talk with God. That's all you have to do. You don't have to give money. You don't have to do anything. But the, the reality is it's all Jesus and he paid the price for us. But it's love. That's why God did it. Think of redemption history. He organized all of that. He did it all for us. Why did the Son give himself? Love, right? In Isaiah 53, if you read Isaiah 53, it just stabs you in the heart. It says, He shall see His offspring. It's us! We've been born! He shall see His offspring. He shall see the fruit of the travail of His soul and be satisfied. There's still more fruit out there. Why would the Holy Spirit indwell messy little people? And I know, you know, some of you are pretty good. I'm a Milwaukeean. Why would he get in a Milwaukeean? What a sorry place to go, right? Why, what are you laughing about? Where do you come from? Anyway. But see, because of what Christ did, because he washed away our sins, because we came to him in humility, and we just held out our hands like a beggar, and we said, look, I'm lost. Please save me. He is happy to reside within us. He was happy to give us that second birth. Why would we live a life in telling other people about Jesus Christ? Why would we live as pilgrims on this earth right now so that we can tell everybody that this is, it's like Shazam, this is amazing, right? Why would we do that? And I'll tell you why. For God so loved the world. that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. It's kind of self-condemnation, right? The offer's on the table, you go, that's not important to me. The hand reaches out, you slap it away. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. What an amazing message we have. What an amazing reality we are, having been saved, having been given a new life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you.